Hello, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of science, the show of kids, whiskey, brandy, and Waco, Texas. It is a very special conversation today. I think that we've all really been impacted, especially in the craft world, by this guy's work. And it was a pleasure to spend the whole day with Chip Tate, now of Tate & Co. Distillery in Waco, Texas. But He'd been in the news recently, and the news and the media had depicted him in a very, very sour way, as if he's this rogue wave just wanting to cause trouble, just wanting to ruin business relationships. All this kind of bullshit. I'll just put it that way. So I'm not going to cast any commentary or narrative on this situation, but I think this is the first time in, in a detailed, in a nuanced, in a very diplomatic way that Chip talks about his departure from Balcones Distillery. But that, as it, just a small piece of the overall narrative and a small piece of this overall really wonderful, I mean, it was great being down, but this is a great conversation. I think it's a really important one to have. But above anything else, your thoughts about Chip, your thoughts about Balcones whiskey, that product during Chip, post Chip, there is some amazing brandy on the way. So even if we don't see some whiskey sometime soon, it's not going to matter because this brandy is delicious. And when it hits the streets, you guys will absolutely love it. So I'm going to stop rambling here and I hope you guys enjoy this epic conversation with Chip Tate. Honestly, I mean, most times, in many respects, it's easier having five than one. Will they take care of themselves? They take care of each other. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you can tell the thirteen-year-old to, you know, go go bathe the babies or whatever. Yeah, and she'll bitch about it, but she'll do it. Yeah. Um, of course, there are sometimes times when they're kind of all going through the moment. They're like, oh, "Why do we have so many damn kids?" You know. <laughs> But, um, it's like the Waltons, though, right? The, yeah, the Waltons. Yeah, I guess so. Um, did you ever? Was that what you imagine when you were? Did you rather? Did you grow up like in a larger family? No, no, my wife did. Yeah. Um, I had one. You know, I was a typical Protestant kid. Yeah. I had one sister. We had two cats. Older, younger. Sister? Younger. Where'd you guys grow up? Uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it's the one that always gets confused from Lynchburg, Tennessee, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, and the funny thing is that all my family, at least over the last hundred years, say, is from Eastern Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But my parents moved to uh, hey, um, my parents moved to Lynchburg when I was well, basically right after, right before I was born. Okay, so you were actually born in yeah, I was born in Lynchburg, and we actually were in Germany for about four years when I was a kid, from about two to seven. Oh, really? When I have was it military stuff? No, my dad was in the nuclear business. Oh, okay. Um, what kind of what kind of piece of it? Engineering? Just or? yeah, engineer. He was an engineer. He retired a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that was interesting. But um, any big takeaways for you, like socially? Did you? I'm sure it made me even weirder than I would have been 
<laughs> otherwise because you know i to whatever degree you can socialize by two i'd kind of done some of that and yeah. then everything changed and then i was just about adjusted to the new place and we changed back again so oh, man you know but by 10th 11th grade i was starting to get it back together <laughs> <laughs> a little bit it took a little time a little bit yeah so you guys did you guys move back to virginia then yeah virginia we moved back, back to right so <clears throat> except for that four-year stint it was you know born in lynchburg moved there moved back to lynchburg mm -hmm. and i didn't leave until i went to college oh really you know, so. how is it growing up because I, I grew up kind of all around mid mm -hmm. but more with midwestern places and mm -hmm. never really lived in the south if we could call virginia the south i think that's fair probably mm -hmm. oh yeah what's what do you what kind of trouble to get into <laughs> drinking well, whiskey punching frogs i mean what, what, what exactly? yeah i mean they, it is funny to think about how different the spoken and unspoken rules were yeah so you know this was i, I marvel on this a lot so you look at you know i'm not a technophile or technophobe but i mean i certainly use computers i've run a small it company before you, oh, know, okay. you think of all that stuff yeah and like when I was growing up, up till you know ninth, tenth grade, like computers weren't really a thing. I mean, they were yeah. out there, but you didn't have them at home. Right, exactly. Or if you did, they were like, I don't know what you do with them. You know, you play. <laughs> I don't want to type a paper up. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was uh, when I was in high school. That's when they were starting to become useful for things. Basically, they were glorified word processors. Yeah, exactly. And then Windows you know, three one days, or is it before even before that? this was? You know, eighty eighty eight DOS oh, wow. okay. stuff. Yeah, and then yeah, Windows 3.1 when, you know, the whole world changed. Amazing, yeah. Uh, I'm a Mac guy now, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so am I, so am I. Yeah, but all in all, yeah, we would go out. We would come home from school, and uh, we'd walk to school a couple miles, at least primary school. Yeah. That was no big deal. Walk home, and as long as you're getting your homework done and all that, it's like you were, you'd be home by dinner mm. or dark, whichever was first. You'd go out on your bikes wherever you went just do your thing do your thing that's how it was and and as long as uh nobody was still bleeding you know it's <laughs> scabbed like, over you're fine right yeah i mean it was almost like a vegas principle you know as long as i don't <laughs> need to know about it as long as i'm not going to get a call from mrs jones later or whatever <laughs> then you guys did whatever you guys did so it's it's fine you know, you know bygones be bygones jip has a you know you know like it, his friends got a bag of binoculars like what are you talking about <laughs> that didn't come up why you got a cold snitch like i mean like your, your parents would be like what what are you we doing? didn't need to know that we, we know, know bad that things happen but that did somebody get either. in trouble like this no. is all perfectly normal yeah um so yeah it's it's good getting in trouble do you it's a different world do you feel differently now like if your kids were just gonna go out and bike like oh that? yeah i mean i don't know if if they're different or i'm i mean it's hard it is I wouldn't. I out. wouldn't just let them go. I, I guess it's it's almost like my father-in-law. He rides motorcycles all the time and okay. has done like choppers, anything anywhere from like Hondas to Harleys. I mean, okay. he's done that since he was a teenager. Mm. And what he'll always say is like, if you don't grow up riding motorcycles, don't do it. Horrible idea. You'll never really learn it. Yeah. You kind of just. He's never been in a serious accident because. Because he has that experience, right? He has that experience, and some of it's luck, but also just being super careful, right. kind of beaten into you that mm -hmm. everything will kill you. Like, assume that everything right. will kill you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they would get into. Um, do you kids even know how to get into trouble, like, outside of the house oh, now? Yeah. They do, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the 
the funny thing is the the oldest three are my stepkids, so genetically I can't take either credit or blame. Um, <laughs> it's a but, nice neutral ground, right? Well, the 15-year-old is remarkably like me in certain ways, yeah. which means we either get along or clash probably more than <laughs> the others. But, you know, they're not as sophisticated on the internet and all that yet right. as I am. So look at the search history. You're like, Henry, what are you up to? He's like, nothing. He's like, dude, don't tell me. I know what oxidizers are. <laughs> Okay, I, I know, I know what you do with these things. Okay, don't <laughs> oh, don't shit. bullshit me. A mo- like a modern dad. I'm just saying, you know? if you want to go blow some stuff up, we could do that. But you if kept... you go do that on your own, we're gonna ground you until you're dead. Yeah, you know, because like, <laughs> yeah. I know you think you have the judgment, and I know that you don't. Yeah, like that's amazing though. That's I wouldn't imagine that those are the kinds of things that people would search for, you know? Oh, I, yeah. But that's, that's, that goes to show you, I mean... You could find just about anything. And that was the difference then is we could, in a way, get away with more because, you know, where were you going to find out such things? Yeah. You know, How you, do you? You, it, you had to, like, clandestine searches <laughs> in the public library, you know, yep. so you don't go up and you'd be like... So I'm looking to make plastique. <laughs> Do you have any books on that? Like you can't say that. You know what plastique is, right? That bomb thing. I want to make some. Yeah, bomb. it's yeah. like a yeah, like a proto, you know, C4 kind of. Right. So you yeah, see Die Hard? It's in Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we may have played around with some of that stuff, but very responsibly. You know, we're a mix wow. of kind of like, I don't want to say amateur terrorists because that's that's entirely wrong. We like to blow stuff up, but it was only but that. kids like to but blow like stuff stunts, up. Stunts. Yeah, right. Who cares? But we would go out. I mean, this was the Boy Scout geek part. You know, we we had some like calculated blast areas. Yeah, exactly. You know, with elevations to know that if there were any rocks, which we'd clear, they might blow up to this far. Away, right. So you don't find out that you killed some eight-year-old. <laughs> you know, three blocks down with a stone. Yeah. yeah whatever. No, but that's. That's an amazing amount of foresight that kids don't necessarily have. I guess this ties it back together where you're saying like, yeah. They I can- was a weird kid. Yeah. But um, it's exactly. And it's just, I guess maybe that's, they're not, they're sneaky like we were, but in some ways not as good at it. It's not like, as good. Yeah. Because if you're going to, you can't be wearing, like if you were going to, for instance, find a bunch of random leaves mm-hmm. and roll them up and try to smoke them. Like you can't be wearing the same jacket that you were wearing when you smoked and when you walked back in the house. Yeah. See, I but mean, this is what would make you a really good killer is that you think about these... these. You got to think about these things. It's either entrepreneur or serial killing. I think it's really the, those poles. That's all that you can do. Uh, I guess. Kind of- I've never... I've only explored one of those. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a different different world. Do you remember the, the Jolly Roger handbook? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, but that was, that was still kind of after the fact. We were just... I remember by 10th grade or so getting access, good access to the chemistry lab. Oh, wow. And, you know, you can get, con- if you can get concentrated nitricles or sulfuric, sulfuric acid, acid. Yep. Yeah. You do some stuff. Spilled it on my hand one time because I thought it would, I was like, there's no way it's like it is an alien. There's no or, way that acid will burn to you. Yeah, you'd seen Fight Club too. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you were. Well, this is before Fight Club because you're, yeah. you're probably my age. I'm 36 now. You're I'm little, 41. Okay. So a little yeah. bit older. So yeah, yeah. you're. Yeah, Fight Club, and then that whole thing where he's throwing baking soda on the acid. Yeah, wanted to throw water on it, or no? He had lye, which is totally basic, and he had exactly. vinegar on it, right? Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Neutralize it. Yeah, which is a but. there you go. That that is the metaphor mm-hmm. for smart rambunctiousness. Yeah, yeah, insightful, perhaps. Yeah, you got to got to think about that because it just, I, you know, I 
I'd like to say that I had, you know, good morals on I was part of it, but of course some of it was strictly self-interested. <laughs> yeah. That the amount of freedom that you had was a direct result of how bad you had or had not screwed up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's absolutely right. If you right. didn't get caught. More freedom. Way more freedom. And just think of all the stuff you were not going to get to do anymore because they're going to be watching your butt. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't get caught. See, perfect killer, Chip. That's this is a I'm great cover. You can't get caught. It's, it's key. <laughs> this um, is key. But anyway, so. Well, so how was the, the high school experience? I, I only can imagine from, you know, to preface this, like mm-hmm. you walked me around the new distillery here mm-hmm. and there are these massive, glorious pieces of equipment. You guys nice. are making the stills yourself. Mm-hmm. Like You have an understanding I'll put it this way. Bend a lot of distilleries. Mm-hmm. You have an understanding of this stuff at a molecular level that I seldom get experience to and mm-hmm. exposure to from these guys. Yeah. And so where does that start? I mean, your dad's obviously in the weeds and the details with nuclear engineering and all that, but for you, where does that start? I mean, that is probably where it started. I mean, I was, I was definitely a science geek, um, worked as, you know, st- like grunt third class, yeah. but still did some stuff with the nuclear company. Uh, through high school and even into college, but um, that was, I didn't really, I don't know, I learned a lot of the basics. I learned a lot of the science, a lot of the engineering principles, Mm -hmm. especially design principles. You know, I have to say there is a good connection between the nuclear power world and the distillery world that way, you know, called the, the, the scram mindset. Yeah. You make sure that if everything goes wrong, the system shuts down safely yeah. rather than blows up. That's that's, that's important. Good, that's a really good point. Um, and so that mindset definitely carried forward. But actually, I ended up getting a degree in philosophy, which was a bit of a surprise for the why? nuclear company, too. Not why, but why? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, it, what was the detour? I was uh, doing quantum in my uh-huh. sophomore year. And, Where'd you go, by the way? Uh, William and Mary. Okay. And um, had a great professor who was also a jazz pianist and uh, just one of those okay. really great global thinkers and just said, you know, the questions you're asking are great questions, but they're philosophical questions. They're yeah. not. Physics doesn't answer why. It just doesn't. It's yeah. not. That's not what definition. Well, by definition, physicists and scientists study what yeah. and how things are connected, but never ultimate questions of why yeah that just is the proper purview of philosophy or religion depending on your point of view and sure so i kind of started exploring those things um would you for but, what were you like what was your was it a girl sometimes it's a girl for everybody that sends them into these kinds of no introspective states. um no i don't i don't know the dark side of the moon <laughs> could have been could have been no i mean it was i think i was already taking some philosophy classes and I mean, some of it was just the effect of going to a liberal arts school where courses and areas of study that don't exist in high school, philosophy, sociology, yeah. you know, yeah. psychology, um, you're interested. And so you say, oh, I'll take one of those, I'll take one of these. And um, it, it interested me. It wasn't, I mean, it ultimately was a smart move. I did not fully think through... Like I was not very good at reading okay. in terms of, I'm very ADD and did not know it at the time. So I had a hard time like reading books. Right. But, so but that was maybe a, manuals were easy because you'd like to do techni- something. Oh, technical stuff. Yeah, I can read technical stuff. Yeah. 
quickly. And, and that was why math and science were good, because you just have to you know, understand a principle sure. or an equation. And then each time you do a problem or solve it, you know, it's like little iterations of attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, rather than having to hold... God, we're reading Faulkner? That's, that's or way high. worse, like a lot of the German theologians. You know, oh, like the yeah. sentence is like two pages long. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a lot of memory. To have to, you know, like, wait, <laughs> what were we talking about again? He hasn't even got to the verb Who's Who's the deep one? The very deep German philosopher? There's one, and it's not Rousseau because he's French, but obviously you've got uh, Kafka. Nietzsche? Nietzsche, probably Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a lot more succinct. No, I mean, I'm thinking of like, uh, I'm blanking under yeah, things. You, but, there's the one, and, um, then, like, and I think camped but that's he's the, the the painter but but nonetheless like it's it's verbose in it yeah there's a lot of that stuff but it was i mean it was good for me because um i mean i'm still a huge advocate i think one thing that's really good about that kind of a liberal education is it teaches you how to think yeah i mean learning how to write helps you think better mm -hmm. clearly and that is important no matter what you do sure um ironically and Kind of fortuitously in college, you know, when I made that transition to philosophy, so the first reaction from the nuclear company because I had this little small scholarship where I was supposed to work there oh, in the cool. summers, and they're like, "What? What the hell do we do with this guy? <laughs> you know, he's a philosophy major? Like, what is that? They sit around and like look at their navels. Like, what is that?" <laughs> and um, so they grow beards, make whiskey. Yeah, I mean, beards weren't even a thing. They just they didn't know. Yeah. So they put me on. A project now what you'd call business writing okay before okay. business writing was a thing the basic point was that hardly anybody's building nuclear plants anymore the vast majority of the business is doing work on existing nuclear plants right. you know cleaning repairing fuel rods all that and so you've got these proposals that go out and there might be you know ten companies or five companies mm -hmm. that put in a bid for the Duke power plant right right and one thing that had changed a lot in the industry is you had a lot, bunch of MBAs sitting on the other side of the table rather than senior engineers. Hmm. And so, you know, they were kind of laying out these courtesans in front of the MBAs, and they're like, mm. okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I had some technical knowledge, and so I would kind of sit with our engineers and say, so why is this good? And we're like, well, like, why is that good? And finally we would say, okay, so what you're saying is, on average, there's 35% less chance of an unplanned outage with this design mm. versus a conventional time. They're like, well, yeah. I'm like, that's what we need to say. Yeah, wow. Like, that's, that's so you You're kind like of, a translator, basically, right? Yeah, there was a lot of that. So um, it actually turned out to be some of the most interesting work that I got a chance to do was so once you, they didn't know what to do with me. Did you ever, was it hard? Did you ever sit across the table from people that obviously have no idea what the fuck's going on? And you have you having to like just be nice about it and kind of like walk them through. Was you everybody... mean in terms of the engineers? No, the engineers really? always know. But like if uh, so, you if would some people bid to help you guys out, or would you bid? No, it was always other? the other way. Okay, okay, yeah. This is now it's it's Framatome. You know, people know, but it was yeah. Babcock and Wilcox and then BW and T. Okay, it was okay. kind of they were bought out and resold and whatever but so yes yeah, so you're the guy then at the table yeah i was well i wasn't at the table i mean i was i was again i'd graduated to like lackey second class yeah. at that point you know but i was writing the stuff that the people would use okay. that were sitting across the table you're like a paralegal yeah, yeah. like a paralegal assistant okay. you know it was kind <laughs> okay. of you know it was pretty <laughs> like i sometimes got to use a cubicle Ooh. you know when when 
you know Joe was out or something. Yeah. Like I was, I was that high up. No, I mean I had my own office, but I was. How you? This is we're talking like twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. I mean I was certainly not, um, not going to be negotiating with Duke Power. Yeah, directly. Yet, right? No, but um, anyway, so that was that was, and then later I did seminary, which was kind of interesting. Interesting. Um, Any denomination particularly? Presbyterian. Okay. Um, is not, that where you? I grew up Presbyterian. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really religious. I mean, I. I'm not anti-religious. I'm not yeah. one of those. But uh, I always say that after very, very careful study, I've determined that I don't know. Yeah, so agnostic. Uh, no, no. Well, kind of agnostic. It's but a hard line in the that in the true sense of agnostic. Yeah, you know, a lot of agnostics are kind of militantly agnostic, which yeah. is ironic. But um, you know, I have a sensibility about those things, but. I guess if anything, I'm I'm more of a mystic. You know, the the, the mystery of it all is is pretty pretty clear yeah. to me. Uh, oh yeah, sure. But a the lot nebulous of it, nature of all of it. You know, um, there's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament that way, like Job. Yeah. You know, and, and what what is the the takeaway message? It's like you think you know, you don't know. You don't know. Okay? That's all you really need to know. You don't. Know you don't know. Yet. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> Got that? That's totally good. Good. Yeah, that's that's the whole point. So but, when did uh, that? Were you done with the nuclear power? The power yeah, by that the, point I wasn't. That was just through the end of college, and then went okay. off to do that because I wanted to help people. And there was kind of a, you know, skipping through some of the details. It was kind of this this parallel track, of, I had been, really serious about baking and cooking from the age of like twelve. Really, and then I had stuff I did, at school or heading toward a job, and these were. These were separate. Yeah, yeah. And um, at one point, I was going to go to college. I remember having this conversation with my parents. And then go to culinary school. And they were like, oh, you know, you can't do that. Because in their minds, you know, they and their parents had been climbing out of a blue classic, blue-collar existence. Right. You know, because that's how they kind of saw the world. Yeah, yeah. And not that that isn't a thing anymore, but we all know that there's, those lines are different than they used to be totally is you know that um yeah you don't think of a chef as blue collar yeah not anymore like that's a great point there's actually a very very valid and prosperous career out of being a bartender now right where there wasn't necessarily it was considered you wouldn't necessarily assume that that person had gone to college or that that person didn't have several graduate degrees right exactly you you don't know there's a million paths that lead to that yeah and no one clear path leading to that sure it's not like you say okay now you're in such and such grades you're going to begin basic mixology (laughs) it's not it's not a home economics elective right you can go into although it should be I think Should that would be. actually be pretty good. Making Tom Collins along making fried I rice. I think, you know, we'd have to reform a lot of things about the current legal structure. But <laughs> I am definitely, I mean, I don't want any child of mine leaving home without any aesthetic sense about food, yeah. including alcohol. So, well, which it is, because it's, you talk about It's my past. particular branch of culinary science. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And it's just, it, it is food. Yeah, and especially depending on what you're drinking, you chew on that shit a lot. So. Exactly. What kind of things were you really interested in making at that point? Then, I mean, I did a lot of sauces. I did a lot of baking, general cooking. Um, I actually started playing around with beer somewhere in my teenage years. I don't know if you'd really call it the the Sumerians might have recognized it as beer, <laughs> but Sumerian. I don't know if Anheuser Busch would have claimed <laughs> it. 
I don't know if people recognize Anheuser-Busch's beer now, though, too. Well, yeah, there's that. But, I mean, I had access to, like, wheat germ and brewer's yeast. Oh, wow. You know, three-liter bottles. Yeah. I was figuring out how to uh, contain a fermentation, you know, which is a bad idea. Yeah. But getting caught by my mom was even a worse idea. Did she? She has a great nose. So So she's not a liquor snob. Okay. Um, I mean, she... She likes good stuff, but I mean, she had a legendary nose. I mean, she once found, she was in a hallway that, I don't know, maybe it was 20 feet long, mm. and through two closed doors and f- at least five piles of extremely dirty laundry in my sister's room, uh-huh. found an empty bottle of vodka, closed, glass bottle, what? by smelling it. Really? I, I this sounds I would never tell this story if it weren't true because it sounds unbelievable. Yeah. Except for I watch her and I'm like, how the You're gonna be like, Lassie? Is <laughs> is Timmy in the well? You know, like you can see her kind of smell like what is she doing? And she found it and and I remember my sister, you know, first of all lying about it and I was like, Oh like But you're talking I wanna be your nose. lawyer. Yeah, Ironically, yeah. she's a lawyer now. I'm like, Oh, okay. interesting. Say nothing. Like certainly don't deny because yeah. it's to- you're losing credibility by the moment. Right. Here. Right. Like who with the maid put an empty bottle of vodka <laughs> under your dirty clothes that she would have just shh, don't talk. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was part of my, my dad's been into, uh, I mean, both my parents have been into wine. Mm-hmm. You know, they learned that actually they grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, when we went to Germany, we were in the, the South in the uh, uh, Rhine Valley. Oh, and so wow, okay. they got exposed to wine there and a totally different, mindset about it right you know because it's such a big part of culture there well yeah and the whole idea of not drinking especially then in the 70s was just like you don't drink liquids you don't (laughs) drink alcohol if this is an alcohol this is wine yeah it has alcohol in it it's like yes and it's like well (laughs) you know we don't believe in drunkenness it's like well no one believes in drunkenness like what what are we talking about like drink wine just not too much yeah. And eat, but not too much. Sleep, but not too much. Like, what Amazing. are you talking about? Yeah. And so... So it loosened up the idea. Yeah, well, that got them really... I mean, my mom had always been a big cook, but that certainly added layers of um, new influence, Yeah, I think, to what what they liked and what they did. That's amazing. And so Germany, so, you could just credit Germany for opening yeah, the process. Yeah, that was, that was really a huge part of it. So we drank a little bit of wine growing yeah. up and, you know, we'd talk about that. And uh, there were a few vineyards around then, not as many as now, but kind of played, or, played around with that. And, yeah. Um, so maybe, you know, you look back, mm-hmm. look back at these single moments sometimes and it mm-hmm. kind of changed the whole trajectory of things. Yeah. So maybe if just as an offshoot, they weren't more open and kind of liberal-minded about wine. Maybe mm-hmm. you wouldn't have went down that oh, path. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I had all these different influences, and I don't want to say careers because that makes it sound too uh, substantial or lengthy. But yeah, I yeah. definitely, you know, there was a time I was in seminary and did that sort of thing and then uh, worked for Liberty Mutual for a time because I needed to because I was mm-hmm. following my then my then wife, first wife, uh, Brown getting, you know, I was the graduate spouse, so I yeah. could get whatever job I could get. Gotcha. And all these different things that kind of prepared me to start businesses later, although... You didn't know That it. was not... Yeah, that was not the plan mm-hmm. um, until pretty late in the game. I mean, I planned around, I guess it was 98, 99, somewhere in there. I was like, you know, 
I spend every living, breathing moment thinking about beer, reading about beer and brewing. Um, maybe I should do that. Yeah. And plan to start a brewery when I came here to Waco. So what? Yeah. So okay. So because I want to get it a little bit clear. So you yeah. finished your philosophy degree at William and Mary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I started brewing during college. Okay. Mm-hmm. Started brewing during college. Like you properly. Have a, properly. As, as in no wheat You got caught yeah. doing wheat churn. <laughs> Never got month. caught. Never oh, got no, caught. You didn't get but caught. Okay. it was. I mean, it was. It was from grain, alcoholic, and had bubbles. But I don't know if it was really beer beyond yeah. that. Yeah. It was something. something. But proper brewing around you know eighteen. So basically like freshman sophomore yeah. in college and so then you also then you're saying pursuing a graduate degree or later sh- yeah later mm-hmm. so the brewing thing is kind of taking taking Just it taking foot and all that yeah. yeah so i was you know occasionally reading theology which i was there to do yeah when i wasn't you know reading john de clerk and uh all the you know major brewing texts yeah, and trying yeah. to figure all that out so um but long story short i Got delayed in starting the brewery once I moved here. So what brought uh, you to Waco then? My, Margaret, my first wife. Okay. So she, so again, we met in college, uh-huh. Margaret and I, and uh, both did philosophy. She went off to graduate school in philosophy at Notre Dame. So uh, she was okay. up in South Bend, Indiana, yep. and I was in Richmond, Virginia. And then uh, four years later, I was done. She was still working on her PhD. Okay. So I moved up there. To to, so we actually did have a year in Switzerland together. I had a graduate fellowship in Switzerland, okay. but anyway, that not directly connected to the yeah, it's still a pretty nice trip. Was, it yeah. was cool. And uh, anyway, so we moved up to South Bend, and that's when I did you know the Liberty Mutual thing and the the odd of some fine dining, yeah, you know, part time waiting and just waiting, whatever I okay. could do. Um, and then really got serious about saying, okay, I want to start a brewery. Yeah. So she got a tenure track job. At Baylor, oh, okay, which brought us okay, here, yeah, in, and in philosophy, gonna, in philosophy, okay. And uh, I was going to start the brewery, so we came here, and she said, "Well, let's get settled in." Uh, the political situation at the university was kind of hot, and so okay. it was like, "Okay, let's just let ride this out a little bit." So I got what was supposed to be a temporary job, and by the time I left. My job at Baylor, you know, I was the assistant dean of graduate enrollment management well, really? and academic technology. That's a long title, Chip. What does it mean? Tell us what it means. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> no, I mean, the funny thing is it was longer than that before they figured out it wouldn't fit on the business card. Oh, I see. And, of course, that's the more important thing. It doesn't matter what you're asking a person to do, yeah, but it won't fit on the business card. I mean, well, we've got to change it then. So. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, no, I was that was very good. A lot of interesting experiences, but... Um, at the end of the first marriage, along with everything else, it was like, you know, this is not why I came. This is not, like, if I want to do what I want to do, yeah. let's do it. And I really was turning into more of a whiskey drinker. Was it, were you, was, she, was she supportive, at least, of your idea to be ambitious and an entrepreneur? Uh, or she, it was more about I think her she was. It was definitely more about her career. Yeah. Um, I think the idea made her very nervous. Why, do you think? Um, I'm sure... You know, a lot of it just has to do with the experiences in your past. Yeah. I mean, I think she had a few people in her family who'd done that and kind of had mixed success. So yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, a lot of it's just perception, too. I mean, not that it isn't risky, but I think there's a mindset that, at least in my early adulthood, was still prevalent, certainly in my dad's generation, that, you know, the safe thing to do is you get a practical degree right. and you go work for a good company and you work hard and they'll take care of you. Sure. 
And that is just not the modern reality. I mean, no. there's no... You make your own path. Now. You make your own path, and there's no guarantee that any given company will take care of you right. indefinitely, certainly. And so you, you kind of, I don't want to say you're on your own, but the when you look at it like that, you realize that there are risks being an entrepreneur and not yeah. being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And there's you just have to there's, Talk about, like... We're trying to understand why you're here. Right. Not being an entrepreneur, I think, makes you really question why you're here. Because it's true, true. It's like an innate thing for so many of us. If we don't pursue it, yeah. like we're not following the love, you know? Yeah. And, and I think over time, whether I knew it or not, I was becoming increasingly less employable in the sense that <laughs> I, was, I was more willing to grab hold of my own projects and do whatever it took and had increasing difficulty following a bad plan or something like that just because it was the plan right because you, you could poke holes in it right because you're well and, and you know not that other people couldn't but some people can kind of be okay with that yeah and i certainly you know embrace even now if you like if you work for a company you work for somebody you either need to execute that plan or leave right you know right, you right. need to not it's just not about there and you be right like, it's like you gotta go right i mean that's what you're there to do but so rather than just being an intolerable pain in the ass, I decided to leave. <laughs> um, Is but, that your nickname? The intolerable pain in the ass chip tape? One of many. One of many. <laughs> okay. My wife prefers shorter nicknames, but oh, I'm not sure good. I should say that online. No, I mean, I've been saying, I've been... Yeah, there are various <laughs> various four and three letter words she combines depending on it. No, I'm just... Yes, that, we'll leave it to everybody's imagination to wonder how, Matt, how amazing these nicknames I are. I mean, obviously, I'm never actually <clears throat> at fault. Sure. But that's sure, not always commonly understood. So, yeah, you know. no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Read the stories. I mean, there you uh, go. it's never I your mean, fault. Never my fault. Never. Um, but anyway, so I just really decided, it was 2008, essentially, so I left the, um, the dean, assistant dean thing, mm -hmm. um, started like a small tech company. now. 33. Oh, okay, okay. I think that's right. My math's terrible, apparently. Well, or mine, I don't know. Either way, but I guess in your you're 30s, right. like you're hitting your Well, you're probably, 30s. no, you're probably right. Uh, yeah, I was probably 31 when I left there. It was I was 33 in 08. Yeah, that makes sense. When I started the distillery, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I went, met my second wife. Interesting. Nikki. Where'd so, you, where did you meet her? Here in town. Okay. And uh, yeah, she was created, basically, I said, yeah, I'm building a distillery, which I've never done make whiskey, which I've never done commercially, and going to make it faster than other people, and I'll be fine. She was like, okay, sure. Cool. So you're I, like, all right, you're perfect. Or crazy. You know, I, was, I was mixed because it's like, I'm not sure I can endorse your believing in me as a <laughs> rational person, but I <laughs> You sound so to. damaged. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's one of those things where, where you're like, okay, like that's cool. I don't know why you believe me. I know that you can believe me. Yeah. But how do you know that you can believe me? Uh, that's always been one of my... Uh, I, I trust people sometimes too much more than I should. Uh, and so I'm always intrigued by people that have that natural Just ability gift. to like stand behind. Well, something. it's a weird little anecdote, but it, it's it's true. So <clears throat> speaking of that first marriage, um, I had no issue with going to a strip club. I just never had. Yeah. yeah. And so she's like, oh, you got to you gotta go to a bachelor party. Like my brother's going to take you out. I'm getting this stuff club. just this past week. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. Sure, let's do it. So we go. And it's one here in Waco, so it's not... I'm not you know, going to make any comments. Let's just assume it's creme of the crop there. 
maybe it is maybe it isn't <laughs> you know so so you walk in and and i'm a i'm a straight guy i'm totally down with you know boobs are actually yeah it was great who doesn't like boobs? but then but then you start looking around and you start noticing some things so the, one of the things i noticed is sitting there we've just walked in obviously never been there before um 15 minutes 20 minutes go by and someone's about to get up on stage and so she just hands me back on money and says hold on to this for me would you the girl ready mm-hmm. to dance yeah wow and i always remember just being stupefied because it's like i know you can trust me but how do you know that you could trust me? well i'm asking myself how did she know she could give you a bag of money at a strip club and then it occurred to me that probably one of the major skills in being a stripper is being able to read people better than as well as a cop can that's, that's right? a good point yeah. just to realize like when who's dangerous and who's not yeah i mean it's like wow that's really interesting actually it's almost like a sixth um, sense yeah because i imagine never having been a stripper but nonetheless um that's got to be a big part of being successful right sure. it's not ending up in dangerous situations yeah so knowing the marks too stuff like that so i was yeah i was uh i was pretty intrigued it's like she just intuitively knew that i would never take her money like huh. just by looking at me wow and it's like do you have the beard then uh yeah i did I that's did. even more interesting i have a beard sometimes you know i'm not I mean, what is even... it like the dog video uh have you seen the sad dog diaries no it's a you got to check it out it's really funny but there's a little part in there where the dog says, you know, he turns his circles around before he goes poop. And uh-huh. He's always on the lookout for gremlins and men, <laughs> and men with beards and hats. Ah, uh, yes, You know, because yes. obviously both of those things are dangerous. They're, yeah, totally dangerous. Uh, if dogs know it, it must be true. It has to be true. So, yeah, to your point. Yeah, maybe. Even bearded, she could tell huh. that, that I was not going to take her probably a few hundred dollars. But, but still, but that's, still a, that's a lot. Interesting. Yeah. It was it was her loving for the night. For so sure. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. But, it's you. So you do that thing, and you get. This is the first time, though, right? The first marriage, the first bachelor party. Or no, this no, is no, no, no. Okay, so this is the second one. Yes. Your current wife's like, come on, just do the thing. Exactly. She's so, like, you gotta go. Yeah. And you're like, well, why do you know you can trust me? The stripper gives you money. And you're like, hey, why do you know you can trust me? Now I get it. It's totally interesting. It and and interesting. what's and and since you're about to be married, yeah. Uh, you should time. know this too that there is nothing cooler than going to a strip club with your wife yeah i've heard that you're like the coolest guy there like i never thought about this because you're totally safe sure because you're there with your wife right and you know my wife is a nude figure drawer and mom oh wow okay. so she's you know totally into that she's also like so have you always been into dancing? You know, <laughs> yeah. just like like just like, great conversation. Oh, and- cute. Where did you get that outfit? That oh, it's off. Never mind. Oh, yes, beautiful. <laughs> you know, and then some really skinny chick will come up and be like, "You just need a little more weight on you, though. You look. You want. You want something to eat? No, I'm good. <laughs> um, that yeah, is an it, interesting dynamic. I gotta be is. honest. Like, I've been to strip club one time. Uh-huh. I it was for my friend's 21st birthday. I was a little bit older than him, and I just didn't. I felt like a mark the whole time. Yeah. So I like these honest, real moments with people that don't involve me coaxing them with money right. to talk to me. Right. So I didn't pay you, and now I'm giving you booze. I mean, it's not so different from stripping. However, it's, but that's, uh, there was just that, that kind of weird. But you know, I would have talked to you anyway, even without the booze. Really? So, oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Really? I know. I know. But now that you said that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask for more booze. <laughs> you might it's, as well. it's good booze. Yeah. yeah you got, this, so, this, is, this is great stuff. So oh. you want to get, so we are, it's, it's a perfect, 
bookmark mm-hmm. to go into the next chapter if we want to drink whiskey. But I know you drink yeah. whiskey, or we can drink this or Brescia, yeah. or both. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. But the what I think the the epic stride of your career, and as I look at the imbibe top seventy five, you're part mm. of that this year mm-hmm. again. You know, whiskey, man. This is the next chapter, so I'm I'm excited. We'll we'll re- yeah. fill and then figure this one out. Yeah, let me pour you a little of your your own booze. Thank you. Uh-huh. And this is a racia. So right. the one thing I'll say about it, and I love it. It's this one is what around forty six percent. It is forty six percent. Forty six percent. This thing sits and ferments for over thirty days. Really? Yeah. So you get some crazy, crazy funk and cheese, and you get all that weird bacteria in there. Yeah, I really, I really dig that about it. Yeah. Um, that cra- just smelling it, it's like, yeah. And it, I think cheese is exactly because I, I made a little bit of cheese along the way. I, I've did loved you really? to do. A, I've, yeah. I've roasted some coffee. I did bread. You know, I did cheese, you, and I just love fermentation and sure. kind of. Um, You're a details guy. You like how things work. I can tell. I and I like inner, I like interconnecting things. Yeah. You know, so there are a lot of connections like that and. Um. Well, it's like I mean, tasting wine with distillers is a fun thing to do sure. because that's one of the worlds where you can talk about a lot of different tasting components mm-hmm. that are strangely applicable in distilling. They totally are. not that strangely applicable, but it's just the more the more broadly you can sort of cast your mental net, yeah. the more you sort of see connections and taste connections. You're you're a worldly guy, aren't you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just didn't date enough. Oh, you know? that's so good. So I, I had a lot of time to sit around and think about. Stuff. See, I just watched movies instead of dating. That's all. I yeah, had yeah. We were we were two hours TV limited. So oh, yeah. I had the World Book though. Wow, that I loved World stuff. Book, man. That's yeah, so you just good. Read that stuff. Didn't get much further than B though. Got kind of stuck on B. B. There's a lot of stuff B-E-R. in there. B E R. Yeah, Brooklyn Bronx Brewing beer. Brewing really <laughs> beards. Yeah. See, yeah, that just happened naturally. Okay, no good. Credit. Yeah, so we're going to taste of this guy and see what you think. Now, this is single distilled, right? Single distilled, yeah. So much surface area on it that That's it can be... That's so isn't that crazy? weird about... Because it's... I mean, they say distilled in clay pots, but that's just the base of the still. Mm-hmm. It is a copper... Well, yeah, they this particular still... Top, right? This particular one is a copper. Yeah, there's a big copper like kind of dome mm. that, where the, the distillate will condense right. and concentrate. But yeah, coming from a mash that I can't imagine is more than five, six percent alcohol. Yeah, that's what's know? interesting. I mean, I guess they just run it really slow. I think so. Yeah, yeah. pretty crazy. Isn't that crazy tasting though? Yeah, yeah. I've got a a, a, Reus, a Reusia in there. Do you really I try it? Yeah. Yeah. It. I don't know what the exact ABV is because what the label says it is is not the taste, right? No, I'll show you what I mean. I'll be, hold on one second. Oh jeez! Exactly yeah. Labeling. Where did you get that rice? Yeah, as Chip uh, pulls out an Azarka from, bottle. <laughs> from someone in Mexico. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, which uh, which state was it made in? Um. I'm sorry, man. No, I, I know I said that. It's my fault. Um, I'll I'll pull it. Up. It's, it's no, near, you have to pull it. It's up. near Jalisco. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm really bad at geography. Really? I'm like epically bad at geography. But good, I, it's not. It's actually surprises. I, I yeah, I think I just have. I don't know. I think I skipped something somewhere. Yeah. I was supposed to. Like I, maybe social I experiment. But I'm gonna tell you, I didn't expect you to ever see it. I didn't expect that you would be so entrenched in all of the spirits, and that's what I like about you. Because yeah, people they Thanks. say you're a pain in the ass. Like they tell me that, right? And I'm like, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I've never talked to him, so I don't know. You know, but then you have all this. You care about it as an art. You care about the whole plethora of spirits, and I think that's lovely. Well, you know, I, I it's hard to know what to say about that. Um, there, I mean, there are a lot of aspects of this that I feel really strongly about, and I try to never be rude, but. Um, well, I think craft stilling right now, it's a phenomenon as much as it is a movement. Sure. And we have to safeguard it. And so there are a lot of people trying to capitalize on it in not entirely honest ways. Yeah. Well, it's a cash grab for a lot of people, man. Well, sometimes it isn't even that. They think it will be. But the point is that it's almost like doping in sports. Okay. Right? You know, if it's one in 20 guys doping then it is what it is. Somebody yeah. gets caught doping, and the assumption is, well, that guy was doping, and so that guy's crooked. Right. So. But if you have, like, a, a you know, cyclist issue, yeah. you can't be the one guy in 30 that says, I'm actually not doping. I was like, <laughs> sure you aren't. Sure. Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. You know, if it's, and not as much anymore, I don't know. Um, certainly in the not-too-distant past, it might have been one in 10, one in 20 distillers that weren't being forthright about mm -hmm. the origins of their spirits, sure. but it was probably eight out of 10 bottles on the shelf uh, I see. because they could, they had access to the juice, right? Right. And so, you know, my worry has always been that if the public has a certain image of it and they know it's somewhat idealized, romanticized, mm. but if they find out it's basically just horseshit. Yeah. We'll all pay for that. That's that's a good point. We will all pay for that and never recover from it. Because you and lose so, your the report, right? Yeah, basically. Um, you know, the tagline is that craft distillers are just big boys wearing little britches. Interesting. You know, that yeah. it's a bunch of advertising. Yeah. And sometimes that's true, but of course there are a lot of us for whom that's not true. Yeah. And it's just important to me to have enough knowledge out there that people don't form that wrong opinion how do you feel about the overall and i, I talk about this a lot so we're mm -hmm. both distillers at least yeah. which is nice. you're on a much larger scale have you know an amazing reputation Thanks. and what do you think that every now uh, let's find the best way to phrase this i think there's a lot of not good work being put on shelves uh yeah there there are some things that that give me pause yes um and I do wonder how they came to be and how they came to be bottled, but yeah. Um, and I think it happens. It's even more with whiskeys than anything else. Yeah. Um, In my opinion. Yeah, and I never guy. really know what to think of that. Um, I guess what I mean is I don't know if people don't know that it's not good, or if they do know that it's not good. And I mean, so obviously they made it and bottled it. Yes. And I guess, I mean, I'm not sure if it's more concerning whether they knew what they put in the bottle or whether they didn't. <laughs> it's just as bad, I think, though. And it, well, okay. I, I don't and know. They're two totally different problems. And, um, well, I will say this. I think that there are a lot more good things out there. I mean, there, first, let's put out what's perfectly obvious to craft distillers, perhaps less obvious non-craft distillers it is really hard especially if you're trying to focus on brown spirits mm -hmm. which so i've always done brown spirits and i've 
love this stuff. I love mm-hmm. what you're doing, but that's just always been my thing. And so you're fighting this war between existing and kind of earning the right to exist, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the better the quality you put out, the, the more range diversity, the more value you offer, the more people see value in the brand. Right. At the same time, you need to do that while keeping the doors open because the doors closed and all that's moot. What does it matter? Yeah. Because you're never going to do anything again. Right. And so there's that trade off um, between, you know, in our case, like we put out some young spirits that I initially that I thought were still quite good and they yeah. did well. What was, was this? Uh, Baby Blue was Baby the first Blue? thing okay. I put out along with the Rumble. And, um, you know, I, I, people say, oh man, the such and such is so much better than it used to be. And I'm glad to hear that, uh, in part, um, well, what I always just say is I always believed in every bottling I put out and I always hoped that every bottling is better than the last. That's the goal, but, uh, it's a challenge is what I'm getting at. So you and I can be particularly sympathetic to craft distillers who need to try to keep the doors open. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, you know, some of the things out there are just, doesn't seem to be an age problem. It's not, right. It's just not well distilled. And I don't know where that so, problem comes in and where people learn. But suffice it to say, <clears throat> it's an interesting place that we're at right now. Because there's is. a lot of cool stuff and there's a lot of not cool stuff. And there's a lot of people lying about where their juice comes from and that's yeah. a problem. There's a lot of people reclaiming Texas as a brand, which I have a massive problem with and we haven't done that. It's like, oh, it's Texas whiskey. No, no, sorry. Oh. It's not Texas whiskey. I don't know what you mean. I know. I'm sure you have no idea, which is perfectly good. <laughs> Head in the sand, shift. Is yeah, no, no I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating on lots of levels. Yeah. Um but I think I think what is going to be particularly interesting over the I don't know if you'd say next 5 years, next 10 years, somewhere in that yeah. span. Um that those of us who've kind of slowly come up, I mean, in some ways, I want to say that I mean, you, it felt like a, a rapid ascension. Sure, sure. Or what I, not that we're at the top or anything like no, that, no. but I'm just saying that, that I've been super pleased at how responsive the market and drinkers and everything. We've been very, very fortunate that way. Um, but at the same time, you know, to get more production capacity, to put all the money together, to put all the things together, continue to do it right, is just an absolute slog. I mean, it's yeah. just so hard if you don't come in with bazillions of dollars. I know. It's so, and this stuff's so expensive. You it's know, you so walk expensive, stuff and it's and so expensive to build a distillery. And, of course, if you do brown spirits, it's even way more expensive. You're in the red even longer, right? Cause you're right. Waiting, yeah. And so you see... I think you're starting to see a lot of those distillers that have been more invisible in the past because they were slowly, slowly, slowly kind of the gray goose, yeah. you know, long runway where they're almost starting right, to take right, off, yeah. um, starting to take off, mm. you know, starting to um, get out there and have more product, um, be in new markets. And then, of course, the a lot of the supplies of source whiskey, much of it is, is, is great whiskey. Sure. Um, are drying up. Yeah. And so it's an interesting change that I think in many respects is invisible to the end consumer because, yeah. of course, I had no idea. I mean, 
Hell, yeah, I until you know. get into this. It was a few years. I it was it was easily a few years as a distiller before I really knew what was even happening with that. I mean, I just didn't know. Because um, nobody knew. Mm. It was just like, you know, if you had a distillery and it said such and such distillery and it said produced or whatever the word was, it's like, well, I assume you've got a place and that's right. where you make you what made, you make you and you stuff. put in a bottle and you put your name on it and there you I mean, what else would be true? Well, because that's, that's what we would naturally think about language. Yeah. Like, oh, produced by. Oh, produced. Yeah, like the guys that make uh-huh. records, they're there in the studio, they're corralling everybody to play in the same time, and these are great songs, they work on it together, right? Like right, just right. Just a very optimistic look at what produced means. But then that's Well, I not. just, I didn't, I mean, maybe I was just naive. I didn't, it, it was easily a few years into the business before I realized what many of um, colleagues, competitors, whatever, were doing, and then I was like, what? You know, that's... That's crazy. Um, but my point is that I think that's changing. Yeah. Because the movement is maturing. Some, a lot of the distillers that have been out there a little while are starting to kind of come up and be a little more visible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that'll that'll be good for the industry overall. I think so. Two the two things, and then we're going to tie back into when you started this whole thing, this mm-hmm. movement, which you mm-hmm. did start a piece of this thing. So. One is that it's really time to innovate and do cool right. things in the right way. So that's a, the, the good part of it is that mm-hmm. it's the Wild West. So we, anybody that builds the first railroad, they're going to, you know, that they'll be the first to, to market right, a lot of right. this stuff, which is an excellent thing. But the second thing is, too, that I think is really worth noting and that this is much like the tech industry was in the early right. 2000s. There will be a bubble. Oh, yeah. And there will be a lot of brands that fall to the side. Yeah. You know? And that's good and bad. And so, I'm always telling different people, especially like you have investor conversations, I say, okay, look, so here's what you're going to read in the near future. You're going to read about how craft spirits has, you know, changed everything and right. the world is entirely different now and the old brands are dead and da 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 da. And then I don't know if it's five years or 10 years from now, you're going to read how craft distilling is dead and yeah. all this. And it's, and all it's crap. Like, it's not crap. There's a seed of truth in that, yeah, craft distilling is hopefully adding something new and innovative right. to a field in which there's already a tremendous amount of great stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there'll be a bubble where a ton of people get in that maybe shouldn't have or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that the movement is dead. You know, there'll be kind of a, a culling. And right. we saw this in craft brewing, I think, Based on the rate of growth, I would expect it might be even more extreme in distilling. Cause yeah. It seems oh, like, yeah. I don't know, as kind of a former amateur statistician, I mean, the, the, the reports of growth are so out of control, it's hard to know where the numbers are right. even really. Well, and then if there. you look at a whole category that had two SKUs, now it's got 20, obviously the numbers are completely skewed. Right, right, exactly. So, you know. um, but, but it's good, it's... It, but it, there is something time, real right? going on there, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying, is that, um, you know, there's the movement, there's an, the, the actual thing, and then there's the phenomenon. The phenomenon, I think, creates a lot of hype. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, I am more than happy to benefit sure. from hype. Um, <laughs> press. <clears throat> press, awards, sure. I mean, yeah. we're still, you know, been fortunate enough not to be totally unknown, but we're not, you know, well known. Yeah. Um, so that's invaluable. 
um, in terms of helping people hear about what we do and and the right kind of marketing, right? Which is reaching people who don't already know about something that they would enjoy buying and enjoy drinking. And then they do that. You know, it's a, it's kind of a uh, evangelism yeah. of sorts, as opposed to trying to kind of create this fiction that generates a, a feeling of desire right. that's all based in kind of nothing. It's like, yeah, it's all kind of uh, this made up, re- metaphysical <laughs> realm or something. Yeah. Well, well it's it is just, meta- you're right. You know, it's me- it's brand stories. Instant you hear people nostalgia, right? talk about, you know, what's your brand story? It's like, well, I can tell you what actually happened. Yeah. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's kind of what's important to us. Sure. Like, this is what actually happened. This is this is our our true history. Um, but all I mean is we benefit from that, but ultimately as the hype cools down, which it will eventually it, for any Absolutely. tech, for whatever it always does. Mm-hmm. Um, all we can try to do is make the most of it to get people who will then like it yeah. to buy it and keep buying it. So you know, to get a foot in the door. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place, and something that's kind of interesting. Uh, I really want to ask you this, and we'll talk because it's obviously the, the Balcones story or the Balcones uh-huh. chapter is a massive thing for yeah. for the whiskey, the world of whiskey, and for you and for mm-hmm. and all of it. So when you say we, do you still mean Balcones? No, I'm. I meant in that context, we here at Tate and Company, or we as craft distillers. Yeah. Um, you I and guess, I, we. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that that whole chapter. Um, well, first of all, is obviously a very important chapter for me. Yeah. Uh, way more good than bad. Um, wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing now had that not all happened. Yeah. Um, but at the same time is a very strange one for me because there's kind of the public perception of what happened and there's what actually happened and there's huge, I mean, like fundamental differences. Well, you know, so um, here's the thing that, yeah, cause all right. So let me, let, maybe I'm the stripper, right? Mm. I love people <laughs> and I love talking to people. And right. I've talked to a lot of people at this point. And you're yeah. 70 something. So this has been a right, lot, right. lot of it. And I walk in and, you know, I've only heard stories about you. I've read things. I know people that, that are friends of yours as well. And uh-huh. so I went into Blake Slate, really did. Yeah. And you're there working on the still. So I'm like, well, obviously you have a good knowledge of fucking mechanics which is good right you're wearing you're smoking a cigar so like this guy's a guy he's a guy's guy right right. and then we go and we talk about all these kind of technical details of the equipment and i'm like you're you're like on this other level then we're sitting down here we're talking Mm -hmm. like you're you're just a dude you're a good dude right so so how (laughs) how how the fuck did people get it so wrong like why why did it turn into such a weird story about you going crazy you brandishing a gun Right? Like, how does it turn into something like yeah, that? Yeah, that was, um, I mean, in truth, that was really just a, a smear campaign gone wrong. Um, so, I'm trying to, okay, so I'm going to stop and start. I'm trying to think what I can say and even what I should say. Yeah. You know, trying to find the, the line between truth and discretion. Sure. Um the debate was really a debate between stockholders. And all I'll say is that the investment group, mm. which we did not do business with an investment group. Yeah, they probably had a 
foreman or a chair or something that we were working with? One of the fundamental issues was we had a very explicit agreement to do business with one individual. Right. Only one. Mm-hmm. Who turned out to be a group unbeknownst to us. Was the, the person's name aside, what was the organization, or not the organization, but the, the formation? Like what kind of format was he presenting himself? Was it an LLC? He was, was, corporation, he was presenting himself as a single individual who then in, invested together with his brother and his father, but strictly for estate planning purposes. Okay. And later, once everything blew up and we were trying to figure out what was going on, because uh, we were just as mystified that we being me and at that point my legal team, you know, what's, what's this about? Um because they weren't responding the way you'd expect. So, it, for instance, yeah. I've had a few investors off and on. Not of a course, ton, but yeah. I've, I've done this. And it's not that uncommon for investors to get nervous for any number of different reasons. Sure. It could be for personal, financial reasons, psychological reasons, whatever. And normally, you can talk that through, especially if you have and out mm-hmm. available for them. Or you guys have talked about those. No, I'm saying at the end of the day, if they're just, you can't get anywhere with them. They want to be able to get out of it. They want to be able to get out. Whether they'll say, yeah. So normally when that happens, if you go to somebody and say, hey, here's all your money plus a significant premium sure. over a span of time. They're cool. We're like, all right, let's just, you know, we thought it would work out. It didn't work <clears throat> out. So, hey, it's, it's all good yeah. because... You know, I, I there have been various frustrating moments that I've had, but in, in business, stuff like that, um, you really got to keep it cool. I mean, this, if I didn't know that before I did academic administration, yeah, I definitely knew that after. The guy that rants at a faculty meeting never wins the day. Right. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, so, so, which makes, you see with the disparity I'm getting here, the incongruence? It's like, you, you are calm, I can tell. Well... What really happened was these guys were starting to rattle the wardrooms, which made me very nervous. I tried to find ways to make them more comfortable. Yeah. As we, you know, none of that was working. So it's like, I don't know what you want, but I'm worried because I don't know what you want. You right. don't... Not articulating it, right? And you guys aren't agreeing, obviously. Well, it's just one of those things where, you know, you start to worry about hostile intentions. I see. They challenge, like, so they were trying. They were they were trying to get hold of my stock, at in an unethical way, perhaps. Yeah. And and you know I won't speculate as to the reasons for that. Sure, but sure, sure. Well, it's always money, all the man, various facts that we've put out there may or may not be connected. Um, and so they were trying to strong arm me to get me to do things that were not our agreement. Yeah. And my position was that we have an agreement and that we should stick to our agreement. Did it ever infringe on your creative vision for the brand? Only um, only in terms of stress. I see. So not directly, honestly, yeah. I wouldn't say. Um, you know, there were a few times that it, we probably could have done a little more or having a little working, safe working space yeah. would have helped, but... No, it it wasn't really that. It was it was it was internal corporate politics, and so um, 
my view, well, my what I kept stating again and again is I said, okay, look, we have to avoid a huge fight. Yeah. Because this will be bad. It just will be, it will be bad. You don't know it, trust me. Like, no one will win. So, if we can't work together, then let's, it's like a marriage. You know, we loved each other once. Apparently, we don't love each other anymore. Let's just sort it out. Yeah, exactly. Okay? One of us goes, one of us stays. Here are my preferences. Tell me your preference. Let's just figure out. Let's not get to the point that we have each other's stuff on the front lawn on fire and the police are like, let's just. Right, right. And they wouldn't have it. So. You think that they didn't want to have any resolution at all? I think they wanted to push me out. I think they just simply wanted to push me out and take what they wanted. Did they think they could do a better job than you, you think? uh, I don't know. I think, I assume they thought they could do as good a job as me, but I don't know that. I mean, yeah. that's no, it's, yeah, it's, seems reasonable, sure. but, but I don't know. But I know that they were trying to push me out. And so, you know, at one point they even um, had the, the sheriffs come, which they'd hired as Heard private security, Yeah, which I didn't know you could do, but apparently you can do. You can hire him to escort church parking lot goers out on a Sunday. You can hire him for anything, apparently. Anyway, so the point is, they kind of made a big thing about it, and I said, okay, if you want me to go right now, I'll go. And then we came to an agreement, which um, was aimed at, again, resolution about what they were saying was, okay, we'll let you go try to find this or that or the other, which we would accept, and vice versa. Details aren't important, but sure, sure. you know, we discussed a proposal to try to resolve the situation and, and you want i imagine you wanted how was you was you walking away something that you ever really even thought about doing um that was never in the plan so um ejected it, walking away sorry this is slightly different well i mean the, the irony the irony was that they were trying to create a big scene mm-hmm. i take it when they did that and I felt like, other than that being counterproductive, that if I didn't know exactly what they were going for, but I could see how them getting me to lose it would be advantageous. Got it. So that was the last thing I was going to do. Yeah, you could saw you. You saw it. You saw they're yeah. trying to get so you. So I just said, so you. I'll you know if, if that's what we need to do. I don't agree with it, but you know we don't need to um, argue about it right now. I'll take some things and. If I'd known, I would have taken more things. I left a lot of things yeah. there. But um, then they sent a proposal, which was basically an ultimatum. Mm. Again, not exactly grabbing my stock, but saying, you know, if you can't do these three impossible things by this impossible date, then right. you'll get, the bo- we'll get this, we'll get that. And right, I was okay. like, no. That's when the accusations came out of me going to the facility and throwing, you know, threatening to, uh, and and frankly, at the time, I didn't have good legal representation. Yeah. And um, so when they went to get the injunction, basically nobody said anything in response. Like, this is nonsense. These are a bunch of unreasonable uh, accusations based in nothing. You know, do you have any evidence to suggest this? No one said that. Right. So that was the, you know, the the word that was out there that that you know I was going to shoot the, the the chairman and all this other stuff and, you know, that was 
absurd. Yeah. Um, what what actually was going on is we were we were doing nothing, and I refused to take their ultimatum, and then rather. You know, again, this was all done by email, sure. very well, of course, right? you carefully. It's like breaking up with someone that you don't really want to date. It's all text messages and emails. No one's ever going to be earnest and in your face about it, which at, sounds like it. At this point, there was no question to me that their intentions were not earnest. You know, that, yeah. that something was, uh, they were trying to, quote, get me. I, don't, I didn't know exactly what that right, meant. Right, right, right. But they were not being uh, honest negotiators. So I kind of felt like I had a, you know, a 20-pound fish on a 5-pound line. I mean, I was, I had all these rights in the operating agreement, and I was also the minority stockholder. Mm-hmm. So You say minority stockholder? Minority. Okay. So it seemed to me that one of the things I needed to do was not create a gray situation. In other words, if we wanted to, if we ended up in court, which it was looking like we were going to, mm-hmm. we needed to basically say, uh, no, we haven't done any of these things. In fact, we're going to have our friends over here at Balconies present evidence that they have that proves. So they say, I came to the distillery. You have tapes. I installed audio and video surveillance. Mm -hmm. We'd like to see them. I either am or am not on those tapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew what the answer wasn't. You know, the big, the big, the big debate was that I had negotiated with them very openly to have certain vetoes on the board, including that the board could not meet without me right. or without my consent. And so I said, I don't consent to have a board meeting. Well, yeah, because you know what they're going to do. So if they they're couldn't talking. fire me. Because they'd have to. So get, they were mad. Yeah. Because. You know, the, the principal in that group was a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, and mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, this was a chess match where all of a sudden he was in a position he didn't expect to be in. Yeah. And he just thought he could. Was that the. You, did you get any sense that long term that's what was going to happen? Because obviously he's a. No, I mean, keeps clothes, because right? there were. Okay. Other than the rights and other things in the operating agreement, it just never occurred to me, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a distillery, you mostly have a brand, yes, right? Right. So, I mean, I'm not trying to equate everything we do in art and science to just a brand, but what I mean is brand in the broad, deep sense is its reputation. It's right, yeah. who people believe you to be, and it controls whether people buy your bottles. Absolutely. When your you know? name and that brand went hand in hand, and really gave you a lot of accolades. I mean, if Balvenie made rum, I'd try it. Because yeah. I like Balvenie. I yeah. like what they do. I believe in what they do. And exactly. I'd try it. Sure. I've never had their rum, but I'd buy it. Yeah. That kind of thing. So um, essentially all the things they were doing are things that I assume no rational business person would do because it would just you'd be shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. You know, it's like threatening the captain middle of the sea by, I'm going to light this boat on fire. And it's right. like, we're all on the boat. On the like, boat. This is like, our boat. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not a good plan, man. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of part of the the plan. There is one to have actual controls, and the other, their safeguards. So you just say, look, guys, like it, it really all comes down to relationships in the end. Yeah. Like if someone's an honest broker, you can say, okay, there's obviously something happening that bothers you a lot. 
or something that's not happening that's bothering you a lot, let's mm. talk about that. Right. Let's stop talking about this. Like, what's, what's bugging you? Yeah. How can we fix this? Well, that's what a good person would do. Well, that's what a smart person would do because nobody wins a lawsuit. Just like nobody wins a war. Right. People die on yeah. both sides. And it is ugly, messy, nasty business. So, but then once you find yourself in it, you know, you, you do what you need to do. Yeah. You know, it kind of felt like Britain in World War II. It's like, not really a choice anymore. That's like, right. this is happening. Fight or get, you know, so, kill or be killed, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you find yourself at war. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the end of it. We went through the whole, so the whole stuff they put out in the media, that was, it was all false. It created, ironically, I think, a kind of outcry in the industry. Yeah, oh, right. Um, and, and what was kind of funny to me is people were like, Chip wouldn't do that. I'm like, which you probably wouldn't do that, but still, that's nonsense, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Because I'm a very passionate person, but, you know, I get passionate about, um, you know, talking about distillation or something. You know, it's, it's almost like an academic. Yeah. You know, you'll sit there and argue as academics about things and not hopefully get personal or insulting, but right. you know, vigorously debate these things because you care about them. And you want a higher truth to come of it, right? That's the ultimate. And goal. there are kind of rules of engagement. You know, that you don't say anything that is personally insulting to the right. other person. You know, that you're, you know, it's like sparring yeah. or oh, yeah. anything else. It's not an actual fight. The rules. Yeah. And the rules are how you take off the gloves when you walk out, and it's all good. Yep. And, you know, they just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. So, so what, was, what was really funny through a lot of the court stuff is like, wait a second. You think Mr. Tate is going to shoot the chairman? Yes. At a board meeting? Yes. The ones he won't go to. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, well, it's like, have you seen Mr. Day? No. Like, it's all. Tell me, tell, explain it to me again. Yeah. Explain it to me again. What, what is it? And it was just that they weren't getting what they wanted. So they were going to try to just do it in any, get you out in any, any way possible. And I just, I don't, I don't respond well to that. Well, I hope I responded well. I don't. I, as much as it was a scary situation, I don't see any value in caving to essentially terrorist threats. Right, right. Don't I negotiate mean, with you all gotta right? die. We all got to die of something. Yeah. So, so when did all that wrap up? All the December of 14. December. So, I mean, the, to, to, to bring that story to a close, it went to court. Uh, the court decided entirely in our favor on every point. Yeah. As in my favor. That's right. And, um, but what happened in between, they, they'd done a number of things internally, business things, that once I did finally get hold of the books and the bank records and all that, I was not comfortable with as a stockholder. Interesting, okay. And that's important because, of course, I didn't have millions. So to get them out would mean bringing in a third party to buy them out, yeah, which involves a process of examination and due diligence, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's just a number of things that can bring due diligence to a halt. Yeah, and there's certain kinds of irregularities where people just don't want to know more. They really don't. Yep, they've learned plenty enough. Yeah, there were things that had happened in my absence that made me uncomfortable as a, as a stockholder, and so we litigated it. We knew they knew what would happen if. No deal was struck. Right. 
which is not going to be good for anybody, including them. Yep. I didn't feel like I could buy them out, so that left only one option. They buy you out. So that's what happened. We sat down on uh, December 4th at a, uh, what do you, I'm going to call it a mediation, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, sorry. And uh, by the end of the day, we had a deal, and that was it. How are you feeling about the deal now? I mean, it was, it, I have mixed feelings about it because, you know, whether it's, it was in my best interest or not, I never would have, I never would have left Balcones if I'd had any other viable option. Because right. it was my baby. Yeah. You know, it's what I built and it was my heart and soul. And um, at the same time, you know, if I step back from that emotional reality and look at, at what we have going here, this is much better for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm building a distillery that's going to be bigger and better than anything I could have had at Balcones. Um, not involved with those guys anymore. Was some of the staff, imagine some of the staff were good friends and things, right? Well, you know, um, yeah. Some, some proved to be good friends. Some proved to be not actually good friends. How big is the staff over there when he left? I want to say we had maybe eight or nine, ten. God, so like it really that. shook the... Yeah, the that was really... turned back on you when you left? Um, there were some people that I would kind of hoped would have a different response. And, you know, to be fair, it's, it's hard to be courageous at times like that and kind of put yourself out there. And, but, yeah. it, I don't know, I think if... Maybe it's different when you're the actual business owner. And I mean, I'd been out there since the day I founded it. Yeah. You know, it was like, I don't want to die on any hill, but if I have to, it's going to be this one. Yeah. So I saw no virtue in kind of caving just to be safe, yeah, whatever no. that. I mean, I didn't even but see But maybe that's point. what that characteristic came out in people. That I'm sure. People. I'm sure that was a lot of it is that they felt like they had no other choice or I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, there were some disappointments there, and there were some um, brilliant, um, well, there's some people who work here and some other people that, you know. Some are, good allegiance. Yeah, yeah, that you realize are every bit as tough and then some as you hoped they were. That's amazing. Um, so that's where you're, luckily now you're starting with that, right? Those yeah. kinds of people helping yeah. you build this thing you, out. You never want to have to test your friendships. And, and, you know, I should mention too that, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we've had a lot of support in the distillery and um, fans in that sense and all that, but you never really want to test people and say, you know, how much do you love me? I know it's hard, but when, it, um, when it's important though, it, sometimes it has to surface. You know? Well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't call the vote, but I was, it was really heartening and heartwarming to see how much support there was out there. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was tremendous. Like I, I don't want to say I was surprised, but it's just, you know, you always have to keep in mind that, you know, stuff that occupies your entire world isn't as important to everyone else as right. it is to you. I know, so it, yeah. You, can, you know, always try to keep in mind that stuff that you find just earth-shakingly important might be somewhere between trivially important and unimportant to other people, maybe. Yeah. Um, but instead, yeah, we had massive support. This, massive Yeah, support. this particular thing, I mean, yeah. you know, I knew... I still consider the True Blue the, the proof, the bottle proof one that mm-hmm. I had way back in the day. It was hard bottle to get. Yeah. That was one of my favorite. Was, that was probably the, the one I'd love the most that you guys ever put out. And so I was like, well, there's something special going on. Yeah. You know, there's obviously something special going on here in Waco. And I, 
I saw it steam. It just kind of snowball, and you had this massive amount of industry support. I mean, it was really, really a lovely thing to see. It was, but I wanted to hear it myself, right? Like, I want to know what what you're going through, and yeah, uh, you know how. So we won't have to dig into balconies too too much although it is the band it's like the police right like it's yeah it's always you it's, went so no i always you know? understand it because obviously that insofar as i have any reputation in distilling that's where it yeah. came from so um how long yeah, were you there six years well let's see um march of 08 to december of 14 yeah so six and a half years something yeah. like that um so anyway i mean it it um We've got a great thing here, you know, and it's... You, I, mean, I mean, this is an amazing spot, man. Yeah, it's a great spot. You know, we've got more space. Um, it's always, you know, it's a challenge to start over, but you look at the flip side, it's kind of a do-over. Like, you don't have... Uh, I get to make, hopefully, better mistakes this time. Yeah. You know, staffing, all the, all the other things, uh, picking the right people um when we we start out so small as we did and you know we start with no money no space no anything Mm -hmm. um we grew but we always kind of dragged those chains behind us yeah um i mean you know as a business owner that is such a hard thing because you know if you take on investment now uh yeah you need it but it always has to do with the value of the company right now which means you give up certain things and you just you're always sort of balancing the risk of going out of business with killing the business you're trying to build by doing the wrong deal I know. with the wrong I know. people. So um, all in all, you know, I think this is actually going to be much better long term. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, maybe the universe kind of forced me into uh, a scenario that was necessary that I never would have or could have chosen right. on my own. I don't you know. You know, I mean, it might be one of those things where people forget about balcones you know i mean how do you feel yeah do you it's hard not to be resentful and it's hard to not have an acrimonious departure as it was but do you wish them luck in operations or are you neutral or are you because i suspect from that side that it's like you guys go ahead you try and fucking do it now go ahead right all bets are off um well, they got what they wanted, so I hope they make it work. Feel good about it. Yeah, that's all I'll say. I wonder you know, how the juice tastes now. I haven't had it since it switched. I I tell people, you know, in my opinion, it's different than it was, and so you got to make up your own mind about it. Yeah. Um, I think the influence of a distiller, um, especially in certain brands more than others. I mean, like, I'm not trying to say that master distiller at jack daniels or whatever has no influence but i'm also saying that you know that's a well-established brand with a recipe and a flavor right. like it has to be consistent it has to be the same right i mean his or her goal would be to make the same juices they made before because yep. that's the job mm-hmm. um whereas as craft distillers we do that to a certain degree but we're also um more actively creating new flavor profiles right. brands labels and uh you know so it's gonna change. I, I know it'll. Yeah, be you put a new you put a new chef. It's it's the difference right. between a life, you know, a line cook and a chef. You put a new chef in a restaurant with, you know, different everything, and I would expect you're gonna get different cuisine. Is yeah. it good or bad? Well, it's up to you. You go and make very up your diplomatic own mind. answer, man. 
That's good. But I, well, I know yeah. it, it's and, got it's got to be you've got some friends and some foes. It's like a really interesting. Do you wish your ex girlfriend ill will? It's like hard to say. Sometimes yes. It sometimes really depends no. on the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, there there's certain people that you look back and you're like, you know, I really don't feel good about how things went down between us. Yeah. And so we don't really need to do any of that anymore. Yeah. Like we're I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And there are other people that kind of got caught. Um and not to either blame them or excuse them or, or whatever. But um, you know, I don't I don't have the same feelings about some people when I do about others. Yeah. But I mean, nonetheless, um I think that it's really just gonna they're they're on their own. Yeah. And it'll be what it'll be. But um, you've got I mean, so you got this beautiful space. You showed me the chill I shit, man, I got a crash course in this massive amount of equipment you guys have brought on. Mm-hmm. So what what do you what do you want to? This will be whiskey again with Tate and Co. Right? Tate yeah. and Company, Tate Tate and Co. What's better? Uh, either one. Either Tate one, and right? Company, Tate Tate and TNC. Co. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we're so we did a little bit of brandy in yeah. the last year, very little bit, and we're looking forward to doing some more. That's a new thing. Um, there'll be some other things like that. Some stuff I've done before, some yeah. stuff I haven't done before, but we're definitely still a whiskey distillery first and foremost. Right. Um, that's I'll say the center of my heart. It's not that those other things aren't in my heart Important, too, right. but I'm I'm primarily a whiskey guy. So where where so, when did you end up in this spot? What time or how far after December of 2014 did you end up over here? Well, you know, I took I took a little bit of time. I waited 24 hours before I founded the company. <laughs> waited like I don't know two and a half three weeks before I uh, closed on this building. Jesus, you know? that's amazing. So um, no, I mean I just as I'd always said, it's like look. I'm gonna make whiskey. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. I'm gonna make whiskey. That's that's what I do. And so we don't need to debate that, discuss yeah. that. We just need to talk about like whether we're gonna do it together. Yeah. That's really all we have to discuss. That's amazing. Um so when do you suspect that all the rest of the build out's gonna be done here? Well, you know, uh we're shooting we're shooting for summer. And I just say it like that because there's there's so many moving pieces right yeah um administrative and physical plant and all of that that that's definitely doable yeah um i would be disappointed but not surprised if things you know delay us a little longer they do. than that yeah sure so you know i have to kind of give myself that pep talk um at least once a right. week is just say look you know it's it's this attention yeah it's your job to kind of push forward as quickly as is reasonable mm-hmm. and shoot for the moon and when you fall short, which often you do, mm-hmm. look at the fact you got a long way, yeah. rather than not as far as you might have in some sort of ideal, you know. Absolutely. So you balance it back and forth. But yeah, I mean, honestly, we've actually done done a lot of good work. I mean, um, we were well, we started the copper works here. I, I always joke I'm an accidental still builder. Um, <laughs> The first time I did it, I intended to buy a still and heavily modify it. I didn't literally rebuild it, but I all but rebuilt it. You know, I kept mm-hmm. like two out of 12 parts or something like right. that. Um, and then the next set of stills I built from scratch, and the next set of stills there I built from scratch. And actually, the stills that are there at Balcones, I designed with Richard Forsyth, 
and uh, worked on a little bit while mm. I was there at Versace, I guess a couple of years ago. But um, part of it was the particular types we wanted. I mean, Versace is a great company. They could have done a great job with it. Yeah. They're far too busy. Uh, Richard still helped us out in a number of ways in terms of sourcing materials. and uh, But it was clear that if we wanted the stills that I knew I wanted and we wanted them before like 2019 mm-hmm. you're going to have to build it ourselves so we're like alright we'll build it ourselves but it also meant that we could uh, well we could we could build more capacity that would make financial sense mm-hmm. if we were buying all of the equipment new I see oh interesting okay because you know as you might expect the the labor and materials is a portion of what you pay for a still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's a good bit of profit and, you know, other things like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you're willing to put in the work and you've got the expertise and whatever, you can just do it. You can do a lot. You can do a lot more with a certain amount of money. Yeah. To, be, to build your stills. So there you um, are th- with your, your torch mm-hmm. welding this still. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the ambiance. Here it's so fresh and live. I was talking talking to you earlier mm-hmm. how it it's so there's they're not the desks aren't there even the ceilings aren't even there yet but you right. feel like it's building it's just kind oh of like yeah building up you know yeah yeah that's a really exciting feeling you know we're kind of every day you see a little bit more and a little bit more yeah and um, it's fun especially because I'm I'm not actually an engineer by by training, but I've had tr- some training in that. I'm certainly not an artist, yeah. <laughs> but uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know, with a, a pen and pencil, yeah, there. yeah. But you know, to actually sit and draw out the, the still the is stills amazing, and yeah. Put it together and kind of see that come to life is pretty exciting. That's very cool. Um, so we're aiming for, or not we're, but yeah. I bet the industry rallies together so that you're opening yeah. in summer. The brandy's going to be first. Uh, the brandy, brandy was the first thing we made. First thing we released. I don't know. Yeah. Um. The brandy's here, isn't it? The brandy. Well, no, it's not here. Okay. Uh, because we don't have a bond. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. right. Because we got to go through that whole yeah. deal. Uh, but we've we've got some friends who helped us out distilling that and are keeping it. Oh, cool. Um, Iron Root Republic is a great, uh, great set of friends. Friends of mine. I uh, helped them out a little bit when mm-hmm. they were getting started. Um, but there uh, has been a great boon to be able to distill some stuff there. Yeah, that's great. Um, but I, the reason I say I don't know is one, you know, to be a great brandy has to be two years old. Yeah. So until, unless I decide to both distill something else, mix that in with the great brandy, figure out whatever that's called in TTB and get that approved to sell yeah. it in less than two years. And you're waiting two years. It's quite possible, Uh, but, you know, there's a number of things we put out historically, or I've put out historically, that are less than two years old, so it may not be the first thing. Yeah. I don't know. we still got to figure out the whole, um, I I hate the required aging time frames. Not not that it's bad to have a two-year-old brandy, it's just, I feel like it's coming really well, and I would like to be able to put it out when I feel it's ready. Yeah. For sure, despite the age. Whenever that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, we're, this is going to be it, man. The next phase, the next chapter. You you, you want to wanna try the brandy, actually? Because I have a little, a you little do? tiny sample. Yeah, of course um, I want to try the brandy. Yeah, we'll try it. So we'll, we'll, we'll wrap and chip. But, you know, you are <clears throat> a behemoth in this this industry <laughs> and the craft. And, like, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to flatter you or anything. Like, 
you're a guy you're a dude you're a guy you we're sitting here chatting yeah it's been really really good and i've learned Thanks. a lot about you yes yeah, and cool. it's cool that you love being a father it's cool that you like being a distiller and it's yeah. even better that you don't want to put up with people's shit i think that's great uh you know and 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 i almost feel I don't want to say I feel bad about that in some cases. The, the things that I would like to think, I mean, sure, I can be a stubborn jerk like anybody sometimes, yeah. right? Well, who can't? I like to think that I'm not too much. I like to think that when people call me on it, I can be like, you know what? You're right. That yeah. was a jerk thing to do. It's my bad. Yeah. Uh, but the things that I've stuck on in terms of corporate structure and a lot of other things, I feel are genuinely important. Sure. They're not just important to me. They're you know, it's kind of, um, we saw a Steve Jobs movie recently. My wife and I yeah, were taking a weekend yeah. away. And there's a great quote from him that I think is accurate, whatever it's a movie. You yeah. know, it says that, that, you know, artists lead and hacks take it, look for a show of hands. That's right. And it's like when you're trying to do art, you just, you can't do it that way. Mm -mm. It doesn't work. It, you, you can't, it's not that you don't want people to like it, but you can't pander you can't ask for art. permission. You gotta. You've gotta. You gotta basically work introspectively and in collaboration with other artists, but put out there something that you believe in, yeah. and then hope people like it. That's right. And that's not something that a focus group can give you. It's not something that a set of investors can give you. Mm -hmm. And my point is that it's not just what I want. It's what they should want. It's the way to produce craft spirits the right way. Yeah. It's the way to be artistically and even financially successful right and so moments where sometimes people think they want something but you're sure they're going to end up wrecking what they're trying to protect yeah you dig in the most so well you know for good or for bad you know godspeed man thanks i appreciate it and this is this i mean this is going to be an amazing facility i think so i think it's really going to be uh a great space not only for us but for other craft distillers we're hoping yeah. to do some collaborative work with be amazing and uh you know we're hoping to really add something not only to our own work but to to the movement yeah and i think you will and i, I hope we get to work together yeah Maybe that'd be great future, that'd be a lot man, of fun so. i really i'm really digging your your uh, juice i appreciate that that comes that, yeah that's a nice compliment high, high degree of finesse very yeah. tasty <laughs> thanks man well chip it's been a pleasure let's go taste that brandy shot let's do it thanks all right well, there we have it. What do you guys think? I am so in awe of Chip's intelligence. He taught me just in, in a few hours' time so much about whiskey, so much about the industry. He is just one of the most dynamic and brilliant minds I've ever been around and gotten to like pick his brain about stuff. And I want to share real briefly to the, the trip out to Waco this afternoon that I went out there and chatted I didn't know what to expect. You know, I had heard so many things about Chip, people saying how arrogant he is, how intimidating, and none of these things are, are true, mind you. If you can just sit and talk and really just shoot the shit with him, it's a brilliant, it's just a wonderful experience. And he's a great father. But I show up, and there's this amazing distillery. It's massive, lots of raw equipment. You have so many conditioning barrels. And I walk into this room where the stills are being made. That's right, Chip is making his stills. For this brandy and this new distillery you see chip he's got a firearm in his back pocket he's smoking a cigar and he's got a torch as he's running some you know proofing if you will kind of putting more copper at the seams of his new pot still and that was 
an image I will never forget. And Chip, thank you so much for what you've done for whiskey. Thank you so much for what you've done for education of the industry. And man, it was so great sharing Sotol with you. And it was great sharing Racia, which I would have never expected. And thank you for dinner and the beautiful wedding gift. You know, this is the thing about the industry. We talk about community. We talk about being hospitable. This is a lovely place to be. And I am really thankful. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to Show to Be with myself, Mike G. No matter what whiskey you're drinking, no matter what brandy you're looking forward to sipping coming out of Tate & Co., please keep dancing.